morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and descended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, January 25th, we're studying 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16 through chapter 9, verse 5. In today's text, St. Paul speaks to the Corinthians about Titus and two other brothers who will be coming to Corinth to make arrangements for their participation in the offering for the saints. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Andrew Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Hey, thanks for having me back. So we get started today, Pastor Preuss, give us some context. What should we know about this epistle and what Paul's been speaking about leading up to our section? So this epistle is, well, it's 2 Corinthians. Uh, there appears to be an epistle that's in between 1 and 2 Corinthians, if I, if I remember correctly, uh, just referenced from when Paul talks about uh, it earlier in, in his second epistle, he talks about an epistle that he wrote with tears, and in, in response to that, you know, kind of it, the intermediate period between the, 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 the last epistle and this. Um, so, so Paul has been, he's been addressing, he's been addressing uh, similar problems that he had to address in, in first Corinthians. Some of them it appears have been, uh, there has been some fruit since the last one. For example, the guy who was having an affair with uh, his stepmother, uh, has repented. Uh, Paul makes mention of that, and he tells them uh, to uh, to receive him back um, and to comfort him. Uh, one of the things that Paul is really emphasizing a lot is, especially at the beginning, is that that comfort, that comfort that that takes place within afflictions, um, and gives him occasion to talk then about his time uh, in Macedonia, uh, and 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 now here in chapter eight, he's. He's talking about the Macedonians as an example for them. Uh, one of the things also that we'll talk about here is uh, is this theme of of letters of epistles. So Paul earlier in his epistle, chapter three, uh, he gets into this where where it sounds like they're 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 requiring some people are requiring some kind of letter of recommendation or commendation for Paul uh, is, again, similar themes that he had to deal with in the first epistle. So in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, it's a very little thing for me to be judged by you or by any human court. Um, and he talks a lot in the first epistle about judging, and he's kind of setting up this, this distinction between human judgment um, and against that, God's judgment. And so we obviously should care about God's judgment instead, which then should become our own judgment. So that's a big theme throughout 1 Corinthians. Uh, we talked about that a lot last time I was on here, going through chapter 5 there. And now here we are in the second, uh, his second epistle, and he's dealing again with that kind of human judgment. But he wants, he, 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 does, he wants them to think according to the gospel. 
He wants, to, in other words, to think according to the spirit and not according to the letter. Because when they insist on having some kind of letter of recommendation to legitimize Paul's ministry, you know, in the face of influential people, uh, they're thinking in a worldly legalistic manner. And Paul is saying, no, you are our, our epistles uh, written on human hearts. You know, whereas the, the law was written on stone tablets with God's finger, so now the Spirit of God has written uh, Christ upon your heart. And so Paul, it's, it's interesting because what Paul's going to talk about is, and has, as he already has been talking about, is boasting in them, right? And, and as he says at the end of his, at, well, at the very beginning of his first epistle, uh, at the end of the first chapter, he says, let those who boast, boast in the Lord, right? Mm. And so now he's he's teaching them that they're boasting, their letter of recommendation, if you will, um, should really be in the fruit of the gospel, in the grace of God. Uh, and and so, so they don't need these kind of uh, worldly recommendations that are all going to be based upon uh, who people, uh, you know, whom you like, uh, and, uh, you know, who's impressive and all that kind of worldly stuff, but rather upon the grace of God, which has been shown to us, but then is also given to us. So in chapter eight here, you know, we're, we're, we're picking up at verse 15, but in the earlier parts of this chapter, Paul gives them the example of the Macedonians, the, the Christians in, in Macedonia. And he says, I want you to know what God's grace has done in the churches of Macedonia. And so here we should make this distinction between the grace of God as it is used to describe how we are saved, how our sins are forgiven, how we are justified before God. And then the grace of God as it is used to describe the effects of that in our lives. Um, so in other words, the grace of God by which it justifies you and the grace of God by which it produces fruit within you. And it's, it's the same grace, but it's, 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 it's used, um, it's, Paul's speaking of it from different angles. So here Paul is speaking of the grace of God insofar as it produces fruit in you and, and, and specifically makes you generous, just like God himself is generous. So he talks about how Jesus, though he was rich, he made himself poor in order to make us rich. And, uh, and, he, and, and so we are to be imitators of that. And, and the grace of God actually causes us to do that. Now, Pastor Purse, I think in my email to you, I, I had a typo as to which verse we're starting on. We're, we're starting on verse 16. We did talk about 15 yesterday, but since you did a little bit of work on on 15 as well, just before we jump into verse 16 and following for our purposes, talk to us a, a little bit about the way that the previous text ended with verse 15, that Old Testament quotation. Yeah, so he quotes from Exodus uh, chapter 16, verse 18, and that's when God uh, sent the manna in the wilderness for the Israelites to eat, and it and he specifically quotes, um, anyone uh, who gathered much didn't have too much, and anyone who gathered little didn't have too little. So the point being that 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 all good gifts come from God. So if if we are going to give our money and our goods 
in our time uh, to for for the upbuilding of the church, for the welfare of our fellow believers, we should keep in mind that that it it all comes from God, and 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 the purpose is that we would all be equal, and you know he uses this word equal uh, to uh, not to say that we. Um, that 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 we tear others down and are uh, that, that that we try to like equalize things in a totally you know kind of worldly social way, um, but that we would recognize that we are all equally in need of God's mercy and that He gives to us uh, equally of His uh, of His mercy in Christ, um, and so we should be content with however much we have, whether we have a lot or a little, like Paul says in. In Philippians 4, he says, I've learned to be content whether I have a lot or a little. So the goal here is it, it, it's, it's not that everyone has the exact same amount. It's that no one has too much and no one has too little. That we, In other words, that we be content with what God has given us. And, you know, if we're holding on to our worldly goods and we're not sharing them with our fellow Christians who need them, uh, then we'll end up like the people who, who uh, as described in verse 20, I believe it is, in, in, in that chapter in Exodus 16, where some gathered more than they needed, and then the next day was filled with maggots and stuff like that. So, so we, he's, teaching, he's teaching us to be content and generous with what God gives us. All right, so with that in mind, we jump into our text for today, which begins at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you, for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. That is our text for today, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16 through chapter 9, verse 5. 
Pastor Proy says the text begins then, Titus is the first person mentioned. He's going to be coming to the Corinthians in regards to this gift that's being received. Uh, talk to us a little bit about Titus and what's said about him here. Yeah, so Titus, and you know, as, as our listeners should should know, I'm sure they know, there's there's a book in the Bible called Titus. And, you know, P- Paul writes to Titus uh, and gives him directions on how he's to... Uh, take care of the churches in Crete to ordain pastors in every city, teach them how, uh, what, what the doctrine of, of Christ is and how to live according to it. Uh, Titus comes up in, in the book of Acts uh, where, where uh, Paul, uh, now I, I'm, I'm, I always get confused here, is it he didn't circumcise Titus, but he circumcised Timothy. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. I think the, the circumcision of Timothy is mentioned in Acts and the, yeah, and the it's comparison Galatians. to Titus is in Galatians. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So in Galatians he says he doesn't he didn't uh, circumcise Titus. Uh so but in, in Acts chapter uh chapter twenty, right? Uh well, no, no, that's Timothy. Uh well anyway. Yeah, so Paul uh, Titus uh, is is a companion with with Paul. He's mentioned earlier in Second uh, Timothy, uh, in 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 how uh, he he comes and refreshes them, um, and gives them a good report. Uh, and so he's sending he's he's did I say Timothy Second uh, Corinthians? He's he's okay. he's sending Titus then to uh, to help them. Uh, kind of, you know, collect the offering that they have committed to to collect uh, to collecting, and uh, yeah. So Titus is a is a preacher of the gospel, sure. and so yeah. I mean, if you have something, if I'm missing something, I mean, I'm no, just kind no. Of... I just was a little bit of background. I think is helpful. What what struck me here about the way that he he speaks about Titus, especially in in verse seventeen, is that Titus is is going to the Corinthians not only because of Paul's appeal to him, Paul says you need to go there, but also because of his own earnestness, he wants to go. And I, I just, I think within that, you see a good example of brothers in ministry working together in, in one accord. Paul, Paul, you know, has that, that authority as the apostle and says, hey, you need to go there, but Titus does so willingly himself. And I think that's just a good a good picture of, of how pastors ought to interact with each other and, and share in the ministry of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, that really is. It's uh you know, it reminds me of, of Psalm 133, how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity and to have that willingness. Uh, there's something really refreshing about it. when you have a pastor as just as a pastor, when I'm talking to another pastor who teaches the same thing, from the same scriptures, as devoted to the same gospel and sacraments as I am, has the same kind of concerns um, of the kind of everyday things uh, like, you know, it might be something like, you know, giving, you know, we all have to, we all have to deal with that. You know, a lot of times uh, we're in situations where the church is in the red and there isn't a lot of giving or isn't, isn't a lot of um, giving toward uh, missions or, or, or things like that. And there's a variety of things that every pastor has to go through more or less. Um, and if he's devoted to the gospel, when he gets together with other pastors, he's going to find 
great sympathy from them as well because they got to deal with the same stuff and they're devoted to the same thing to the preaching of the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus to preaching uh, uh, toward a godly life um, and uh, and that and it's just it's it's a great comfort actually in fact Paul you know I've mentioned earlier that Paul uses this word comfort you know parakaleo right where we get the word paraclete the Holy Spirit who's the the comforter and I I meant I said that he Titus comes up earlier in the epistle it's just the 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 chapter before in chapter seven where he's talking about when he's in Macedonia that they 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 had great troubles there and there was fighting without and fears within where you have that outward and inward cross going on but then it says that they were comforted by the coming of Titus because Titus came and told them that that uh, that they've repented you know and that's I mean that is a great that's a great relief you know when a pastor a, a pastor who cares about his people, God's people, he wants them to receive the word of God. That's the main thing, to receive the word of God to, uh, in faith um, and in repentance and to, to have another pastor like, like Titus just go willingly and eagerly, just as eagerly as Paul, and then come just as eagerly to bear good news that, hey, they've repented. And then they rejoice with the angels in heaven. So, no, that is a really good thing to point out. Um, and and that, that eagerness, too, is something that he's bringing that up in the same, for the same reason why he brings up how the Macedonians gave generously. It, it's, it's to give a godly example. And he's not giving these examples to shame them into uh, doing the same thing but to stir them up, to show them at, through these godly examples that, that, that God desires this to be done out of faith, out of you know, the, the, a willing heart. I mean, I think about uh, the, the book of Exodus. After a bunch of them are killed for worshiping the golden calf and not repenting, then you have those who are, you know, seemingly at least for the time pious and believing and it talks about the the contributions for the tabernacle and how they had to finally tell them to stop giving because they were giving so much and they were giving more than enough and that that's that's a witness to the the free spirit of god that that, that his holy spirit makes us free uh, we don't come to faith. We don't receive the Holy Spirit by exercising some kind of free will that we already have. No, but the Holy Spirit frees our will so that we truly are free. And that's what Paul is going to set up against this kind of uh, legalistic, uh, you know, coercing sort of letter of recommendation, right? They want a letter of recommendation to kind of rein Paul in. And Paul's Paul's preaching freedom in the gospel. He's saying, no, 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 no. What's much better than that is what the Spirit writes on your heart. And here's an example of Titus who goes willingly and eagerly to you as a minister of the gospel. And then he mentions others as well who go with him. Right. So in, in this text, one of the, the things that maybe stands out to us is this mention of two unnamed brothers. You've got one in verse 18, and then another again in verse 22, who are going to be accompanying Titus. You find out a little bit about each one, but not a name. So the, the first one mentioned in verse 18, this brother is 
in the ESV described as famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel, and he's been appointed by the churches to travel with us. In verse 22, you find out about another unnamed brother, uh, one who's often been tested and found earnest in many matters. So uh, talk to us a little bit about these two brothers. Do we have any idea who these guys might be? Uh, what do we find out here in 2 Corinthians 8? Yeah, so so in 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 uh in chapter uh 18 where it talks about the a fellow brother uh who's who's famous for preaching the gospel the church fathers have from what i could tell mostly assumed that this was luke um some theories have been barnabas cuz barnabas is as we hear in the book of acts is given the name ba- uh, a son of encouragement well it's it's funny because it's actually not nablus is from navi which is prophet prophecy mm-hmm. right um or son of a prophet but it shows that prophecy what well, what are you prophesying you're prophesying comfort right as uh, isaiah 40 says comfort my people so those words become sort of synonymous so son of comfort son of encouragement it could be barnabas for that for that reason um you know, it, it's possible. It could even be uh, Apollos, um, because Apollos was was a, was a well known well known for teaching, a uh, very gifted preacher. Um, that, but you know, Apollos was uh, what was he left in Corinth? I believe. Um, yeah, still... I mean, Apollos was mentioned by name in First Corinthians a couple of times, which is I I had thought about Apollos too, but the I don't know the fact that he was mentioned by name in First Corinthians and then he's whoever this is, is just the brother here kind of made me think it maybe wasn't Apollos, but it could yeah. be, I suppose. Or maybe, it, maybe it, that could be an indication. See, this shows where you could go either way with that. It could be an indication that he is Apollos because in first Corinthians, he mentions Apollos to, to combat this kind of partisanism, but now he doesn't want to mention his name because he just wants them to know him as a preacher. And I think in either case, I think that's what's going on here. Who it is, what his name is, isn't as isn't as important as what his office is. Is that he's a, he's a preacher of the gospel. But yeah, I mean, it could be Luke, uh, it could be Mark, uh, because you know, Mark, Luke, and Mark were evangelists. So where they were in the process of their writing of their gospels at this point, um, you know, maybe they were <laughs> in the preliminary stages of it. Right. Who well, that, I'm glad you brought that up, just because that, that had crossed my mind too. If if this brother is, say, Luke, as you said, that seems to be a, a fairly common assumption among early church fathers, I would assume because of the mention of being famous about the preaching of the gospel, if if it is Luke, and and if that—this is a lot of ifs—but if it is Luke, and if that phrase would somehow indicate that maybe his gospel's already finished, I mean, the letter— this letter is being written around the year 55 AD. That would be really early compared to where most people today assume Luke was written. But yeah, again, that's a lot of ifs in there. So yeah, Luke was definitely written before 70 AD because Jesus sure. predicted the uh, destruction of the temple and did it in very apocalyptic uh, language. Um, but anyway, bunny. Yeah, trail. I know that that um, was a way tangent way off. So bring us back. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the other guys, though, uh, so that is uh, verse 22, uh, our brethren, um, whom we have often tested in many ways and found zealous and now more eager than ever because he has uh, so much uh, 
confidence in you. So who's that brother? Um, and this is, uh, we were talking before we started, I'll just full disclosure there. Cause I was kind of wondering about this and, and, uh, you mentioned Acts 20 when they're in Troas and you have this list of guys who are, you know, accompanying Paul in his journey. And what did you say? Lenski, you said Lenski mentioned, um, he, he suggests one of those they're, potentially they're, for one of these, at least one of these brothers. So Sopa, Sopater from Berea. Um, yeah. And Ar me... Aristarchus and Secundus from Thess Thessalonica. Because those are the Macedonians of the group. Yeah, right? they're the, Macedonians. The okay. Sure, sure. No, that makes sense. That, that, that would make a lot of sense. And, and, and what it says about them then is that they're, uh, that, that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're to, to prepare them. And I guess we'll get more into that, uh, about what, what all that entails. Um, but, but what, what's significant though about this is that again, Paul is teaching them what true concord is, uh, you know, I said we could talk about, if you wanted to, we could get into a tangent about the fellowship in externals. And this is something that, you know, we, we have these kind of, I guess, three different types of fellowship that if you're Wisconsin Synod, um, and there's, there's prayer fellowship, there's corporate word and sacrament fellowship, and then there's fellowship in externals. And so, you know, these are ways for us to just try to practically apply these things. But, you know, if you, if I go to a church that doesn't teach the true thing, then I don't even participate in the prayers, even if I'm just in the pews. So if I go to a Catholic church and they're sacrificing the mass for the living and the dead, I'm not going to participate in the prayers. Um, or if I go to a Baptist church and they have altar calls uh, telling people to use their free will to invite Jesus into their hearts, I, I'm not going to participate in the prayers. I don't think that we're tough enough on that stuff. Uh, I don't know if we really give enough uh, uh, explanation for that. We should, be a, we should be in unity. This doesn't mean that, these, that everyone in that room is like a heathen or false Christian. No, that's not. The church is invisible. The church is hidden under... Uh, all sorts of, of, of false teachings, but as long as the, the pure gospel is still kind of beaming through, the Holy Spirit's working through that. So then, you know, the question, you get into the casuistic question of like, okay, are you, you're with your Baptist friends and you're going to say grace before a meal. Okay, well, that's, I guess that's another issue. Uh, but but you, you, we should be thinking about unity in doctrine. We should not look at fellowship as this sort of lowest common denominator and say, well, as long as we just can, you know, we believe in God, or maybe we believe in Jesus, or, you know, you know we should strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Well, then we get into the fellowship of ex externals. So Let, alter let's pick that up. Let's pick that up on the other side of the break a little bit more, Pastor okay. Royce. That's a that's right. a good. We'll we'll talk more about how this applies to the fellowship and externals on the other side. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Andrew Preuss this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, January 25th. We're studying 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16 through chapter 9, verse 5 with Pastor Andrew Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, uh, interrupted you to talk now about fellowship in e- externals, not fellowship in eternals, externals. You're connecting that to fellowship and doctrine. That's the most important thing. How does this apply to what we talk about fellowship and externals? Yeah, so fellowship at its core is fellowship and doctrine. Fellowship is what we teach, believe, teach, and confess publicly. And so the most basic way in which we teach this in our churches is don't we're, we're not going to share altars and pulpits with those who teach falsely, even if they also teach the gospel uh, and, and we could consider them a Christian church, but they don't. Uh, they they also have errors mixed in. We're we're not going to, we're not going to have, uh, you know, communion with them, right? Because communion is an express an expression of the of the unity in our doctrine. Um, and so, you know, we teach our people: if you go to a church that isn't in fellowship with you, it doesn't teach what your church teaches. Don't go to communion. And what I was saying was, I wouldn't even pray. Now, if I go to a Wells church. I'll pray. Um, they might not pray if they come to my church, but I'll, I'll pray because, you know, come on. Um, anyway, so that's, that's casuistry stuff. We could go on many bunny trails with that, but, the, but let's get into fellowship and externals. So again, like I said, word and sacrament, that's really at the core. That's what fellowship is, what we, what we publicly teach. Externals, fellowship and externals refers to partnering with those who were not in complete altar and f- pulpit fellowship with, but we might still do charitable acts with them, right? And so we can do, so for example, uh, what is formerly known as Bethesda, which they should have kept it Bethesda. I don't know what they call it now, um, but it's, it was a beautiful term that, 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 uh, that describes the healing of God for people who need healing and care and compassion, um, those who, are, uh, who, who, who have mental disorders um, or special needs or whatever the term is that we have to use. Um, it, 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 they've done good work in the past, um, but it turned out to be like kind of Wisconsin Synod and Missouri Synod. And when Wisconsin and Missouri broke, they kind of continued it. And so while well, they're doing kind of externals, well, then it gets into, well, okay, they're teaching the gospel. And so <laughs> you do have, like you find in these fellowship with externals, that it's not so clear cut. 
And I'm not trying to throw a wrench into anything here, but you take, for example, Lutheran World Federation, not Lutheran World Federation, sorry, uh, the uh, Lutheran World Relief, and there's LCMS World Relief, and there's Lutheran World Relief. I remember talking to my LWML, and they showed me Lutheran World Relief, and they said, oh, yeah, we could send, like, blankets and stuff. But they specifically say, don't, don't send anything that talks about Jesus. And I'm like, okay, so at what point in this fellowship of externals do we realize that we aren't in fellowship even in our good deeds? And I think that this kind of, this, this, this distinction can be very unhelpful sometimes. It can be very helpful in the sense that, okay, if you're marching against abortion or something like that, and you look to your left and you see a Roman Catholic next to you, okay, God bless them, you know, uh, doesn't mean that you're communing together. And at the same time, though, we, we, we want to, we don't, while we don't want to take away from the, the everyday good works that Christians do and promote in their daily lives, we also don't want to take the, that, the, the, the good works that we do away from the expression of fellowship that we have around doctrine, right? Our, our calling is not just to be humanitarians, you know, where we just go and try to make the world a better place um, by donating to whatever kinds of humanitarian uh, programs there are. As Christians, we should strive, even in the giving, in the in the in the in the in the, uh, the bodily gifts that we give for people for people's bodies um, to support. Uh, 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 you know, the poor, the widows, we, we should do that with unity in doctrine. And this is, Paul is striving for that, right? Um, th this is, uh, uh, so, so anyway, that, that was just a little bunny trail, Fellowship of Externals. I opened up a can of worms. Maybe someone else could talk about that another time. Uh, but, but again, the point here is that Paul, Paul is, is, is teaching unity. So there, there, these men who are going with Titus are are they're, they're witnesses to Paul's work among the among the Corinthians, um, and uh, and they're chosen by the churches, uh, and 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 this shows the unity that we have. Right when we call a pastor, it's not just one congregation that calls the pastor without anyone else. No, yeah, they call the pastor. God calls the pastor through the congregation. But then what, what do they have? They have the other congregations come and the other pastors come and they give their you know, right hand of fellowship, their approval. Their, maybe it's laying on of hands if it's ordination, you know, that, because that shows our unity in doctrine. And what we do as the church should, should flow out of that unity in the gospel that we have. Um, so anyway, I mean, why don't you uh, bring well, me in a different direction if you'd like? Sure. No, and just to just to try to tie up a few things on that, and then move us to toward a different topic. Just thinking about the unity that we have in Christ, this is something that was a very key concern in the first epistle, First Corinthians especially. And if you go back to the very first chapter of First Corinthians, Paul appeals to them. And, and this is really important that he does this in the name of Jesus. They need to be united under his name, which is to be united under his teaching, under his doctrine. And then in that unity that they have in this doctrine, they do, 
they do this giving. I mean, we talked about that at the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16, where Paul has invited the Corinthians to participate in this unity of doctrine, now in unity of, of giving. And so while there are plenty of matters of, of casuistry that, that you and I don't have time to, to talk about here, and, and matters of casuistry that are probably uh, well spoken about with your, your pastor, if those are questions that you have about some of the things that have come up, uh, just to, to keep those things in mind, that, that the unity that we have in Christ, that is where all of this is flowing from. And, and Paul is definitely acting according to that unity here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, when he is encouraging the Corinthians in this giving and giving them the, the very practical ways of going about this giving. Again, that was a part of his instructions in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. We're seeing some of the, the practical matters here, uh, which, which that'll use that as a segue to more of, of this text. Some of the, the practical matters he talks about in verse 20. In verse 21, especially in terms of what this is, what's the point of sending these people along, of doing the gift in this way? He's, he's doing this so that the gift can be administered in an honorable way. And he says, yeah. not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. So in terms of, you know, it's not Paul himself who's coming along, knocking on people's doors, taking your money and taking it who knows where, but it's being done in a way that I would call above reproach, as he uses here the word honorable. Uh, talk yep. to us about the Again, that's, I think, a, a practical matter, but also theological. Uh, talk to us about this this concern for being honorable in men's sight and in God's. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's this phrase that people say often when they're totally guilty of sin. Um, only God can judge me, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 that I find it to be very little to be judged by you or by a human court, he's not, he's not deflecting. He's not saying uh, only God can judge me in the sense that, well, now I can do whatever I want and I don't really care what you think about me. No, no, he, he doesn't care about what influential people have to say in their gossip corners. He doesn't care about that. But he does care about the faithful receiving the gospel without scandal. He doesn't want to set any barrier between them and the gospel. And so he's going to make sure that how he delivers this gift, how he uh, 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 collects a gift, how he goes and uh, stays with them, preaches for them, um, that he is, whatever he does, he wants to present the gospel free of charge. And and uh, so like you said, you know, Paul's not just going by himself, knocking on doors and saying, here, give me the money. But he, you know, it's two or three witnesses. And you can see here that Titus is, Titus has two witnesses with him, mm. right? So Titus and these other two men make three witnesses. And that's very important in Scripture to be, like you said, above reproach, to be honorable both before God and among men. Um, so this isn't, you know, Christian freedom teaches us that we're a slave to no one. We're, we're, we are servants only of God and, we're, and, and, and as his sons, as heirs of eternal life. And so we're not under any bondage. Of, of any yoke of slavery. At the same time, then, that means that we are therefore servants of all and that we want to present the gospel uh, willingly uh, as a free thing. And so we're going to make sure that, that how we conduct ourselves is going to be above reproach, right? So you can sit and complain about how people get the wrong idea. Well, do your best to not give them the wrong idea. 
<laughs> and so and that goes that goes hand in hand with this with the compassion and the love that flows out of faith um and you know an earnest desire that they would receive the gospel um yep. yeah but before we move into to chapter 9 because you mentioned this thought of letters of recommendation that's come up you know previously in this in this letter uh, take us into verse 24 a little bit, where Paul says, give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. And, and tie that into what you're talking about, letters of recommendation earlier. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we have, uh, you and I are pastors, we we could go, maybe it's hung on your wall or it's in your file somewhere, you have a call document or an ordination certificate. Right. And that's important to have that in the same way that it was important for Titus and these other uh, fellow workers to be approved by the churches. Right. But what is it that what is it that's really being approved there? Well, for them, it's their call by God. Um, but they've also been proven to be apt to teach. They've been proven to be above reproach, to be models in godliness and love. And so 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 what what he's now getting at with the churches in Corinth is that, uh, that they, that the church in Corinth is to be, uh, is, is, uh, uh, to be boasted about because of their love and not because of some kind of, uh, uh, you know, recommendation from some influential people. So it's funny because he's, he, he is kind of sending letters of recommendation, Right. And and uh, but they're not the kind that he's combating against. He's, they're not the kind that they're expecting. They're expecting a legalistic uh, uh, kind of letter that that basically would say, "Oh well, I know that this guy is good because uh, these influential people say that he's good, and uh, he's a good preacher, he's a good speaker, he's good at this and that." And what Paul is concerned about is that they be proven in their faithfulness, right? So go back to 1 Corinthians 4, where he says, this is how we should be considered as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And it is required among stewards that they be found faithful. And so setting up against that kind of carnal view of letters of recommendation, uh, Paul, Paul sets up faithfulness, being proven faithful. And so just as Titus and these other men going with him are proven faithful for the ministry as messengers of the churches and uh, the glory of Christ, as messengers of the gospel, stewards of the mysteries of God, so the, the Christians in Corinth would be proven to be faithful. And that is enough for us as Christians. So we might have a letter for the sake of ordering, right? But it, but the letter is is simply just a witness to the true proving of faith, um, and 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 confession. As we get into chapter nine, then Paul says it, it's superfluous for him to write this about participating in the ministry. Take us into the first part of chapter nine, there. Yeah, Paul goes on to assert their willingness to give. He says it's superfluous. It's, I don't need to say this to you because you're already you're already willing to do this. So it's like he's just asserting that they have this will, you know. And it's it's I I love the way that Paul writes here because this is something that I remember I was in Bible class years ago and I was talking about the fruit of the spirit, 
And one of my members, uh, one of my parishioners, who's a good Lutheran, who knows that we're still, we still love our sinful flesh, says, but I can't do that stuff. You know, he hears the law and he says, I can't do that stuff. And I say, and my response is, yes, you can, <laughs> because you have the Holy Spirit. So God has freed you to do that. Now, you still feel the bondage of your sin. You find that you fall short all the time. That's all true. But you are willing because God's given you faith. If he's given you faith, you might not feel it all the time, but you are willing. So Paul's just asserting to them. It almost sounds like manipulation. And it would be if it were not for the spirit of God, right? It's like, well, I don't want to, I, I don't want to do that. Oh, yeah, you do. You know, um, no, well, yeah, you do want to give. You want to give freely because you're a Christian. That's how God has created you and you in Christ. But then he goes on to say, um, well, and this goes again to the fact that they are epistles of, of hearts inscribed with the Holy Spirit of Christ. Um, and so Paul's teaching them that their works of charity are not a result of human coercion, but they're willing hearts uh, given by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. But with that, though, Paul is encouraging them, um, and, and he's telling them that the reason why Titus and the other ministers are coming is to help them do what they want to do, right? And so you see there's this careful pastoral care going on here that Paul wants to make sure that the gifts that they're giving are free will that is by the Holy Spirit, free will, fruit. They're not works. So notice how Paul talks in Galatians 5 about the work of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's not fruit of the flesh. It's work of the flesh. It's coerced work that is always tainted with envy and murder and adultery and, and, and covetousness and all this stuff. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. It's free, freely flowing from faith. And so the pastor's job, the pastor is primarily a minister of the gospel. He's a minister of the new covenant of the spirit of life and not of coercion. Now, does that mean that the pastor doesn't preach the law? No, he does preach the law to call people to repentance, but also to guide them in light of the gospel, in light of the new life that Christ gives them, to guide them in the Christian life in their giving, in their in the works that God has given them to do. And so he doesn't want his boasting to be in vain um, because he is, you know, and this shows that he is he's that 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 he's confident that they that 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 he who began this good work in you, namely faith, will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ, as he says in Philippians to the Macedonians, right? Um, so they, they help the Christians not to coerce them into good works, but to guide them. And then he says to make them ready or to make them prepared. And you, you, you see kind of a taste of, of them receiving the people from Macedonia is sort of, it's like receiving Christ, right? Being ready for Christ. Um, and so this shows then just in a general way, how God prepares us for Christ's coming through his gospel, through his law and gospel, that it, it is through the gospel that he actually gives us ready and willing hearts of faith that trust in the forgiveness of sins and the hope of the hope of the resurrection. And so we need to learn through that uh, and learn through the works that he gives us through the law 
Uh, even though the law itself can't give us any life, we still learn from it as Christians um, the, what it is that God that is pleasing to God, right? So it, it, it's something that needs to be administered in a careful way. And that's, that, that's also why Titus and these other two ministers are going there, right? They're not just sending them a bill or an invoice, you know? Right. They're going there as living voices to persuade them, to help them understand more in more depth that this gift that they're giving is actually a fruit of faith, and it's free. So, so in, in verse... In verse 2, Paul, t- yep. Paul uses this phrase, again, as the ESV translates, your zeal has stirred up most of them. And he's talking about the zeal that the Corinthians have stirring up the Macedonians. At the beginning of chapter 8, he had told the Corinthians about the Macedonian giving as a way, I think, to stir them up. You you talked about early on in our conversation that this isn't a matter of shaming someone into giving or something like that. Uh, but I also think we want to be careful so that it's not a matter of like brothers competing to outdo each other necessarily, like in the sense that, oh, I'm better than you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk talk about this sort of encouragement that can happen, that, that healthy sort of encouragement that's not a, a shaming, but also not a matter of boasting and me being better at this than you. Where do we, how, where is Paul doing that? I mean, he's he's in the right spot. Help us to find that. Yeah. No, is it Romans 12 where he says, outdo one another in, yeah. in doing good, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. So, so I mean, there is a competitive sense, but maybe yeah. not in the, yeah. I don't know, not in a, a kernel way, I guess. Yep, yep. So, I mean, it's, it, but it's really, it, it's fun to see how Paul will use these terms that to us normally are used in a very competitive manner, in a very carnal manner, but he uses them in a, in, in, in a sanctified way. Um, that you should be encouraged. You know, this is something I learned at seminary. My fellow students would, if they did really well on a test, I'd want to do well too, you know, or well on a paper or whatever, you know. There was a kind of competition, so to speak, but it was a brotherly sharp, iron sharpening iron, you, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and and that's 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 really what Paul's talking about is that sharpening of one another, um, and and so examples. This shows that you know Paul Paul puts a lot of emphasis on examples. You know he says to Timothy, "Don't let anyone despise your youth, but be an example to the flock." Right, and because when you look at an example, you're not being told what to do in a kind of coercive way, but you're giving a model of what it actually how it actually manifests, how God's grace, how the fruit of God's grace actually manifests, how the fruit of the gospel manifests in people's lives. Um, and so, yeah, he's really, he's speaking well. He's saying, hey, you know, the Thessalonians, they're, they're encouraged by you, you know? And, uh, and, and so that's, it is a bit of a, it, well, it's, 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 it's an encouragement, but it is a little bit of embellishing. You know, in a, you know, embellishing their, um, their, their the fruit that 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 they've shown. You know, and you need a little bit of encouragement. You know, you can't. We can't just be constantly saying, "Oh, well, poor miserable sinner," and then don't ever go on from there. You're a poor miserable sinner who's forgiven by Christ, and you're given the Holy Spirit, and your fellow Christians are encouraged by that. Paul says, "If we." 
if we are afflicted earlier in his epistle, it is for your encouragement, right? He says to the Philippians in Philippians 1 that others saw our chains and our suffering and they were emboldened to speak the same truth, right? This is why God gives us fellow Christians and other churches from around the world who are confessing the same thing and are encouraged by us and we're encouraged by them. And it's kind of good to know not to overdo it, you know, because we ultimately should be receive everything with humility, but it's good to know that you've made a little bit of progress in that, you know, in, in that you that that you have shown some fruit and that people have seen your good deeds and are glorifying God and will glorify him on the day of visitation. You know, it's it that we don't want to downplay that because that's what Jesus says. But we also obviously have to be have to be careful that we're not falling into a kind of boastfulness, um, which the flesh is very deceitful and can do that. So yeah, it's just it's just a very basic teaching of fellowship that we sharpen each other and we're, we're bound together in love and we boast in one another. Um, yeah. So yeah, so, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So we we got about a minute and a half here, Pastor Preuss. Maybe help help us to wrap things up. Perhaps with that that last phrase, you've kind of talked about this already. That these are this is a willing gift, not an exaction. Take us into that last verse. Help us to wrap things up again with about a minute and a half. Yeah. So if these ministers, Titus and these other two men, whoever they are, if they're simply legal legislators uh, or legislators or um, you know or or collectors. Uh, then the gifts would be this begrudging obligation, right? Uh, and, and, and it wouldn't make for a good conscience. Uh, but since they're ministers of the gospel, of the free forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, then they carefully show the people that their gifts are free will offerings that are flowing from thankful hearts of faith in the gospel. And that fruit is much greater um, than any kind of worldly human court or letter of recommendation. Pastor Andrew Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. He's been helping us today to study 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16, through chapter 9, verse 5. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. It was fun. Thanks for having me again. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.